Hello, my name is Ryan Wynn, and I'm the podcast editor for The Daily Emerald. Welcome to How It's Reported, a new podcast from the Emerald Podcast Network about how reporters do the work we do. And today I have... Hi, I'm Michael Tobin. I'm an associate news editor for The Daily Emerald. How are you doing today? Uh, you know what? I showed up like 10 minutes late, and I forgot to set my alarm last night. So um, thank you for your patience and <laughs> being here. That's pretty honest. You're just like did that to yourself in front of I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. Well, I mean, this is a podcast about <laughs> transparency, so <laughs> you may as well just start off with that theme. So. That's that's true. So, Michael, you wrote a story last week. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, so I wrote an investigative piece that I've been working on for the last four months or so um, about the University of Oregon's East Campus housing properties. And these are a series of about... Um, you know, 74 properties or so that the university owns over in the east side of campus near uh, Bean Residence Hall, Kalapuya Ilahi, which is the new dorm, Global Scholars Hall. There's all of these cottages that line Villard Street, Moss Street, Columbia Street, and 17th and 18th Avenue. And they're really, really old homes. And back in September, we wrote a story about a family who filed a lawsuit against the University of Oregon, and they claimed that they were sickened by the mold in the homes. Yeah, and you wrote that story. Yes, I did write that story. And I wanted to do a larger follow-up piece to see if this was a more widespread problem. And the reporting kind of showed that it was. Yeah, yeah. And you can check out the story in the description below. I feel like a YouTuber saying that. So how did you get a hold of the initial story? Not this one, but the one that caused the follow up. How did you hear about it, learn about it? Yeah, so the Emerald uh, does a lot of their reporting um, from lawsuits that are filed on the state of Oregon's court system. I think you do a lot of reporting on those lawsuits. Well, (laughs) you know, it's a group effort, and it's a really good way for people who work on the news desk or even people who work on the sports desk as well, like Sean Meadow and Jack Butler, were able to break a national story last week because um, they were the first to find a lawsuit that a football player filed against the University of Oregon about kind of like the injuries he sustained while um, here and like training and all that kind of thing. Nice shout out. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) hey, you got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. So um, the Emerald is always searching on there to find new lawsuits and break those stories because it's they're more of like the deeper cuts, you know, like you can go around on campus and look at the surface level stuff. But once you get into the nitty gritty legal documents, that's where you can find like the really good details and find the story that isn't often being told. And all those are public? Yes, all of those are public record. So anyone listening to this could just go on there and... Uh, You do have to have a subscription to get onto the website, but go down to your local courthouse and you can go through the metal detector and then they will show you how to access those documents. Okay, so tell me about what reporting on that initial story, what was that like? What'd you do? So initially reporting on the story, it was going to be kind of like a basic lawsuit story. Like we've written them before. So-and-so is suing suing the university, saying that they were X, Y, and Z. I talked to our newsroom advisor at the time, Jim Sloan, about how to approach this story, and he said you should definitely get a hold of the attorney and maybe the family who is suing, and I was able to do that and learn a little more details about it. It went beyond what was in the initial complaint of the lawsuit. I was able to get some details about, like, what it was actually like living in the home and, you know, kind of, like, what prompted them to file the lawsuit. And just learn more about them and kind of humanize the story a little more, which I think is important. 
Yeah. So after doing that initial story,、mm-hmm. you said you wanted to go back and do a deeper cut. What made you want to do that? Just to see how everything widespread was. That's what you said. But did the family say anything that made you think maybe this is something that's more widespread? Or so it wasn't necessarily the family. To be quite honest, like I had done a story earlier.、Um, I think it may have been in like August or something about.、Um, The university's decision to replace Hamilton and Walton dorms, and when I was doing an interview for that story,、um, one of the people I interviewed told me that they weren't particularly a fan of the East Campus houses, and、um, we had like discussed kind of like some of the issues in them before, and he kind of like told me that they were not in a great situation, and I I didn't know what that meant, and I didn't know how to go about reporting that. So once I found this lawsuit, I was like, okay, well it's time to just crack down and figure out what's going on here. And do a larger story. So, with doing a follow up, how do you start reporting on it? That was probably the most tricky part.、Um, is trying to figure out how to start this whole thing.、Um, luckily, the Emerald has access to a thing called directory information, which is a public records request that anybody can make to the university. To it sounds really, really creepy and weird, but you can get、yeah. names and addresses, and it's just a useful tool for journalists to find sources or confirm information. And this is very similar. This is the information that UO Find People was based off of. Yes, that's correct. It's just more in depth. Yeah, just for you listeners out there. Yeah, directory information is public information that anyone can request. But you can request. I believe you have to go to like some office here to like strike your name off or something. Yes, and maybe if we want,、um, maybe if listeners are kind of like concerned about that, we can include a link of how you can take your name off there. Because yeah, yeah. In the description、good. below. Yes, in the description <laughs> below. Anyway,、um, the first thing I did was I got a list of all of the East Campus housing properties that the university owned and maintained, and then from there it was a matter of just cross-referencing、um, those addresses with directory information to pool、um, names, and then ultimately using find people email addresses, and that was just how I got the sources for the story. I just sent like fifty emails out to people, and I was like. Working on a larger follow-up piece,、um, I'd love to know about some of your experiences living in East Campus housing. Yeah, and how did that go? What was the response like?、Uh, you know, I think like in total, I interviewed eight or nine people. So eight or nine out of fifty is like a decent turnout. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah,、um, and people were willing to talk about it. A bunch of emails like got ignored, and like that's going to happen regardless. But it's more important to kind of just try and put out as many leads as you can and see what you can get. Yeah. So tell me about how those interviews went and what kind of questions you were asking, just to get a sense of like, there wasn't a lot of information in that story <clears throat> and a lot of personal anecdotes. Tell me about、mm-hmm. those interviews. Yeah. Well, I did all of the interviews on f- over the phone, pretty much except for one or two, maybe.、Mm-hmm. And I think the most important part was trying to keep everything organized, which is really difficult. I had by the end of reporting the story, I think I had like a thirty-page Google Doc of just like all my interviews and like a Google、notes. Doc. That's it, folks. Yeah, a Google Doc. <laughs> But I also had a very large spreadsheet, which we can talk about in a second.、Um, <laughs> Michael here is an avid fan of spreadsheets and pivot tables. Love spreadsheets. <laughs> so basically,、um, I would call these people and we'd have a discussion about when they lived in the homes, what it was like for them.、Uh, And some people have even told me that it was a good deal to live there because you know they got a full house. It wasn't like they had an apartment or anything. They had like a backyard and stuff like that. So it was interesting to hear、um, people's experiences in the homes. But also, I heard a lot of the same things coming up. It was like 
there was mold that was growing on our walls or there was mold that was growing on our bookcase or um, water condensation would pull up on the windows in the morning. Like there are a lot of common factors that um, people were telling me, which kind of gave me a sense that there is really something here because people who probably didn't know each other and, you know, they weren't neighbors or anything for the most part were kind of saying all the same things. They lived there at different times and it kind of just gave me confirmation that there actually is a larger story here. So after those interviews that you did, what did you do next? I read a paragraph in your story that said that you tried to talk to people from UO Housing, but that not everyone was willing to talk to you. Right. Yeah, the UO housing part was kind of, the, in some regards, the most frustrating angle to this story where I understand that the university wants to have a centralized flow of information, track what's going in, track what's going out, making sure that no officials are kind of like talking to the media without the communications department knowing so they don't get blindsided by something. That makes sense to me. But wh- when it came to writing this story, um, pretty much everything and every source that was related to East Campus housing was just like unavailable to talk. Uh, they didn't want to be interviewed. So as a result, what the Emerald had to do uh, was send questions to Kelly McIver, who works for the University of Oregon Police Department, but he also oversees things that deal with like safety and prevention and stuff like that. So he was able to answer our questions after consulting with um, the people in the housing department or safety and risk services and that kind of thing. And the frustrating part for reporters is that kind of eliminates the possibility for us to ask follow-up questions in a timely manner. And there's a massive delay in information. It, I think it took us like maybe two weeks or something to get like these batches of answers back. I also wanted to ask for the listeners who may not understand why we wanted to reach out to them. Why did we reach out to them? UO Housing is the people who oversee this entire process, and I thought it was really important to hear their side and talk to them directly. Yeah, and in the general sense, we do that for a lot of stories that involve this some sort of um, like accusation, some sort of what would you call it? I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't say accusation is the right word. It was more of wanting, yeah, not for this story. Yeah, I think it was wanting to get their side of things and hear what it's like on their side of maintaining these houses. Yeah. Would you say that that's sort of like, that was sort of the most difficult part of reporting on this, or at least the most frustrating, or? Yeah, I I would say that that was the most frustrating part. Um, Just because when you don't have the ability to ask follow-up questions, it can kind of like hinder your reporting process. And I think if I had gotten these interviews with them, I could have completed this project earlier, probably, just because I would have had all that information before and I wasn't waiting for somebody to provide me with answers. Yeah. So I also saw that you had some photos from what looks like sources Mm -hmm. in the story. How'd you get those photos for listeners who may not, who may wonder how they got them? Oh, yeah. So I thought that the photos from the sources were probably one of the most important part of the story just because I trusted them that they were telling the truth and they were, but I wanted to see what it was really like inside their homes. And we had these inspection reports that said there was mold inside the homes, but I really wanted to see what it looked like. And having photos of the mold was super helpful to readers to just get an idea of what it looked like, as well as kind of just like speak to the veracity of what was going on. And additionally, um, I think that the emails were really important too, just to show that there was communication going on between tenants and university housing at the time to kind of show that like these people had tried to talk to them about the issues in their home. Yeah. And with those inspection records, 
were those the materials that you used to build that interactive map, which you can see online? Yes. Um, I did say that getting answers from Kelly McIver and safety and risk prevention services was difficult, and so was getting the public records, as always. Basically, the first time I requested all of these records, I put in a super broad request, which was like a really bad idea on my part. Wait, before we go on, could you explain what a public record is and what a request for it Mm -hmm. means? So a public record in Oregon, I won't get into like the nitty gritty legal definition of it, but basically it's any piece of writing, audio, um, photo, video, that kind of thing. It's a very, very broad definition that the public is able to view and inspect. And you don't even have to be a resident of Oregon to look at public records. It's really open to everybody. Uh, With that being said, there are lots of exemptions to the Oregon public records law. And luckily, these inspection reports did not fall under those exemptions. Yeah, yeah. Could you go on with how you're talking about how you made a really broad request and how that made the process more difficult? Could you Mm -hmm. explain a bit of that? When I made my initial request, I said I would like any and all copies of inspection records done on East Campus housing properties for the last three years or something like that. And this was before I knew that the university had like 70-something properties. So um, they wrote me back and they said, the university has managed like dozens of properties over the years. Um, Could you please narrow your request? And then from that, I was able to just get a list of the properties. And from there, what I did was I basically chose one street or something like that, and I would just file a records request for the last three years of those homes and those inspection records. And then once I got those, I would file another one and just say, I would like any and all inspection records over the last three years of these homes. So I was able to kind of break it up into bits and pieces, which prevented us from getting massive public records retrieval fees, and that was a smart way to do it. Could you just quickly explain what you mean by fees for records requests? Yeah. So um, the way that the fee structure works is there can be um, fees placed on reporters and members of the public for um, retrieving these records and redacting them in some cases and just kind of like taking the time to search and produce for the records. So those are what the fees are. Yeah. We'll include a link down to the Public Records Office website in the description below for anyone who's curious. Yes. And wants to maybe see your records request, actually. Yeah, if you're curious, you can see. Yeah, you've made a lot over the like the time you've been here. Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good way to get reporting done, and it's yeah. really important. Yeah, so what did those housing records tell you about the houses? Well, they did tell me, and they gave me confirmation, other than the anecdotal evidence that I'd heard before, that there were mold in these homes or that there was mold in these homes. And I was able to hear, um, well, I was able to like see these inspection reports that would give me details about where the mold was, in some cases kind of like what it looked like, I guess. And then there was notes about like water damage and all of those kind of things. So it kind of like gave me some insight and supporting evidence that there was a problem in these homes. And our newsroom advisor was very quick to say like, you shouldn't necessarily view this as like an indictment or anything like that. An indictment? Yeah. Basically saying like, This is like the smoking gun or something like that. Okay. He said this is just like supporting evidence. This seems like a really complex story with a lot of information thrown at you. How do you kind of tie it all together and write it? It seems like a lot. You mentioned a 30-page Google Doc and Mm -hmm. and a spreadsheet, one spreadsheet at least. 
Yeah, there was only one. It had like multiple sheets on it, but there was one. Yeah, for reference, most I think almost all of my stories have required zero spreadsheets, <laughs> maybe like one or two. So that's I guess the average would be like point one. <laughs> but go on with what you were saying. Sure. I mean, I think like the biggest way that I was able to kind of overcome like a massive project like this was to basically keep everything super organized. So on the spreadsheet, I had um, like a list of all the properties in one sheet. And then I had a list of like sources I had reached out and contacted. And I would just have like their names. And I would say, what did I do? Did I have a follow-up conversation with them? Where are those notes? What did we talk about? When was that conversation? Just a really good way to keep everything organized. And then I, I mapped all of my records requests and when I got them, when I filed them, when the university acknowledged them and when the university fulfilled them. So I could just keep everything. I can, I had an easy track of what was going in and what was going out. So I could know, okay, well, I should be getting this request soon. And then that's another piece of the puzzle that happens. Yeah. And along that question, how do you fact check everything? I want to ask that just to see, just to give our listeners the idea what we do to do that sort of thing. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I think the fact checking process was really, really important. And I fact check everything twice. So there we go. Yeah. On, <laughs> <Come> the, on. <laughs> on Monday before the story came out, like a week before, I sat down in like the Emerald office in like a conference room and I kind of just like closed the door and just kind of like barricaded myself in there. And I was like, I'm going through every fact that I see and I'm going to highlight it. So I highlighted every fact in the story. And then I went back through my spreadsheet, through all of the records, through the notes, through all of that. And I I just went back individually, went down the highlights and wrote down on there, like, where was this? Where can I find it again? And then if something didn't seem right, I would just circle it and then go back and double check it again. And then on Sunday, the day before the paper came out, I had done all the heavy lifting fact checking again, made sure that there were no errors or anything in there. And then I came back and then I did it all again. That sounds like a lot. I actually saw you, just full disclosure, I saw you doing this and I asked what you were doing while you were barricaded in there. <laughs> it was important just to make sure that everything yeah. was right. And Yeah, that was a week before. That was when I was writing my cover story mm-hmm. on the Oregon Promise, which you will not find in the description below, actually. You should put it in the description. Fine, I'll put it in the description. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be afraid to self-promote with work. <laughs> yeah. So I I wrote the story over winter break. I wrote it probably like close to like a month before the story actually came out. So I wasn't like scrambling to write like during hell week, which is when we put out five newspapers. First week of every term. Yes, first week of every term. And I wasn't scrambling to write on Sunday night or anything. Like everything was all done already. So I had done like a little bit of that when I was writing. I was just making sure that when I was writing, I was going back and checking everything. But there were a few small things that I found, which was like when the university bought its first like housing property, like... I said it was one year and it was actually a different year and I had to double check that like that actually was the correct property. So it was like more smaller things than anything else. So it wasn't any like major factual errors. It was just smaller things that I wanted to just absolutely bulletproof and make sure this story had the utmost credibility. So for this story, can you tell us what is happening next or what's going to happen? You know, I wish I could tell you, but I just don't know. I haven't heard any comment from the university at all. Like, they haven't said anything. They haven't sent, you know, Zach, our editor-in-chief, or they haven't sent me an email saying, we'd like to talk to you about this. Um, So I don't know what the university is going to do. 
With that being said, the Mengs family, uh, who is a family that sued the University of Oregon, their lawsuit has yet to been settled. Uh, they're kind of like fighting over venue right now because venue venue is where the trial is going to take place. That's that law minor in you coming out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, their lawyer had filed the case in Multnomah County. He's a lawyer based out of um, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. And he does mold litigation. So he was fighting over like, where are we going to have this trial? Are we going to have it in Lane County or are we going to have it in Multnomah County? Venue is just really complicated for the reasons that they want to like have it in Multnomah County. And like, if the court will actually say that's okay. Right. I was also wondering, did any of your sources like respond to you after this story came out? Did they say anything or... Uh, they they did. I got one or two like nice jobs. Like this was a complicated story. And Thumbs then up. other than that, somebody had a follow up question for me about kind of like the lead paint aspect of the story, which was like the lead paint that's on the homes and stuff. And they asked me where they could find like more information about that. And I recommended that they contact um, UO and like the health and environmental services or a department like that to give them a fuller answer. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. It was really great listening to how you reported this. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap things up here? I don't think so, no. All right. Well, thanks again for coming in. And my name is Ryan Wynn, and you've been listening to How It's Reported from the Emerald Podcast Network. 